welcome to Brown Collar. I'm Jenny. And I'm Omar. And so begins Season 1, Episode 2 of the podcast. So I didn't realize we're breaking this down into seasons. Do we have a specific theme for Season 1? I think just having a Season 1 is a good start. So did you ever watch the show, the animated show Archer? They had a few seasons in the middle where they completely switched genres. Like the first couple seasons, they were this spy agency... And then one season, he went into a coma, and for some reason it was a 1930s private eye theme. And the next season, they were in space. And the best part was they didn't really spend much time explaining it. They just, they just did it. <laughs> well, that's creative. Um, I'm not sure how that would work with the podcast. Maybe we could do like an accent theme or an old-timey Western music or something. Oh, I like that. I'll have to let that simmer in the back of my head for a while. Well, our main topic today is traveling, specifically to Japan, which I know something about. Well, that's all fine and good, but I think what everyone really wants to hear about is tedious website status updates. Kind of fair point. Most importantly, we actually have the podcast up on the website. If you are new here, the website is uh, lutfi.com. That's Lima Uniform Tango Foxtrot Echo Yankee.com. That does make us sound way cooler than we actually are. Maybe for the next time, next podcast, we can find the absolute worst set of words to describe the website. <laughs> uh, that'll be your homework for next week. So what do you think of the first podcast? I noticed that your voice was louder than mine, which is strange because it didn't seem like that when we recorded it. Yeah, I tried to fix it as much as I could after the fact, but um, this time we're going to try and use two microphones, and hopefully I can kind of mix it better, or mix it at all. Um, and I kind of want to get like actual microphones so that we feel more important instead of talking into a phone that's sitting on the table. I mean, it gets the job done, but it doesn't seem as cool. I agree. But also, um, I think some things that we wrote looked good on paper, but didn't translate to the audio so well. The podcast joke seemed a little too drawn out when all was said and done. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I'm not sure how that works, like how comedy works with just spoken versus written. So I guess we can kind of work on that more in the future. So now I made more of just a rough outline of what we're going to say instead of trying to work write out everything exactly. So we'll see how that, that kind of makes it a little bit better. And I noticed you have another episode up, uh, which is uh, a lady reading one of your Christmas letters. Who's that? That is Alice, my mother-in-law. She agreed to read it for me. Uh, my goal is to have various people read content I've written over the years. So I've been writing stuff on my website for 25 years, and there's just there's just a huge amount of stuff. And it's like it's almost like there's so much stuff it's hard to see anything because. You know, you look at what I do now, like my last Christmas letter, and it's like, well, I have 25 of those, and I have just, I have like 400 things, 400 posts on my website of things I've written, and some are really small, and some are long, and I just want to take some of my favorite things and have different people that I know read them, so she was kind of the guinea pig, and uh, I want to record one of those for each podcast that we that we make. Cool. 
Speaking of other writing you have, and other podcasts you have, I listened to your Lord of the Rings story, read by our friend Austin. It is beyond amazing, and uh, we need to get him back in the studio. Well, that kind of implies we have a studio, and that we aren't actually, spoiler alert, recording this in the study room at the youth college. Well, well, anyway, on to other topics. I feel like we've covered the admin stuff. Um, Let's on to Japan. Okay, fair enough. So let me set the stage here. You are currently 32 years old, and you have lived in different cities in Colorado for your whole life, with the exception of your two trips to Japan. Is that accurate? Say stuff here. No, no, don't don't literally say stuff here. I just put that in as a placeholder. <laughs> oh, but it was such a good joke. Uh, yeah, so I've lived in Fort, uh, in Fort Collins for years, um, Colorado native, and have made two trips to Japan, once as a high school senior, uh, as kind of a class trip, and then once studying abroad as a college student. Um, the high school trip, we traveled around for two weeks and only stayed in one city for, I think, three days was our longest in, in one city or another. And then for my study abroad, I was stayed for a whole semester basically in one place and then took a little travel both before the semester started and then after um, I kind of traveled across Japan and before flying home. All right, so before we get into the details of your trip, I want to talk about how difficult it is to physically get to Japan. So I talked to a lot of people about traveling internationally and people just think it's so overwhelming and it's impossible and it's beyond anyone's ability to leave the country. So I would like you to talk to me about how, like going to Japan versus say going on a trip to Hawaii, like what's the difference between the two? Uh, So for Japan, since it's international, you do need a passport. Passports are not difficult to get. It's actually a pretty simple application, and you just got to get a, a picture. There's even passport fairs ever so often where you can do like a one-stop shop and get all your paperwork in and then submit it. Um, it can be a, a little on the pricey side. I think currently it's like $120 to get a new passport. Um, but once you have it, it's good for, I think, 10 years. So you're you're set, and then you can go wherever you want with it. Um, to Hawaii, obviously, you just really need whatever ID to get on the plane. Most people have you know, a driver's license or something, and then your plane tickets, and that's about it. Um, for Japan, you just once you have your passport, you just buy your tickets. You don't necessarily need a long visa, especially if you're just going for a tourist kind of a thing. You don't have if you're planning on staying longer. Like for my study abroad, I had to get a student visa, but I was going to be there for five months, so. That's a little different than if you're doing just a two-week trip, then you don't need that same kind of visa. Um, you, we do have different embassies around the country. So like there's a Japanese embassy in Denver, and um, just give them a call, and they are, are just a wealth of information. And for any other country, always just call an embassy if you're really curious about what it would take to get there, what you need to do. Um, I'd say... Um, it's not as daunting as many people make it feel like and I know a lot of people go oh the plane ride it's so long and how can you sit still for that long um from Denver to uh, Osaka was a 14-hour 
with a stopover in San Fran. So, so Denver to San Fran to Osaka, 14 hours. So it was, so you got on a plane, you, San Francisco was what, like three hours? Mm-hmm. And then from San Francisco to Japan, that was like how many hours? 14. 14. Yeah. So you got a little bit of a break and then you just have to sit still for 14 hours. Mm-hmm. So you, you like plan your airplane ride. So you, you know, have your book to read. You have like, I had uh, like a Sudoku book of puzzles. Um, you hopefully have an in-flight movie that works. My seat, however, the volume was broken, so my movies were silent. That part didn't, that part kind of sucked. But if you have movies to watch, then you're fine. And just alternate between your tasks to keep yourself occupied. Yeah, I remember when we went to Europe, I was watching all the movies, and I watched this, I don't even know what it was, it was this horrible Brad Pitt, like, <laughs> Japanese, like, historically inaccurate movie about the Great Wall or something. I don't even know, and I watched it, and Catherine is like, why did you watch that movie if you're saying how horrible it was? I was like, well, except because I watched the first four movies I wanted to watch, and I didn't have anything else to do, and we weren't there yet, so, like, yeah. This but, movie, I'm, I'm going to have to find out what movie this is, because I'm very confused. <laughs> I know, it was very weird, and I don't even remember hearing about it in, like, theaters or anything, but... Brad Pitt yeah. plus a great the Great Wall of China. Yeah, it was very weird, but weird. But yeah, I mean, it's like you think like oh, sitting in an airplane for for ten hours is gonna be horrible, but I mean, you got they just have so many things you can watch, and if you can sleep, that's good. Um, just read a book. It's not. It's like you spend so much time when you're traveling. Like when you think about it, from when you leave your house to when you get there it's like you you drive from your house to the airport you go through like you go through you check your baggage if you have any you go through security you wait in at the gate you fly and it's like all that's the same as if you were going someplace if you're flying someplace within the united states and Mm -hmm. it's like okay well you're just going to spend a few more hours just sitting there so it's like when you think about it, it's like, oh, I'm going to watch three more movies than otherwise I would during the trip. And it's like, so it takes, you know, the instead of three quarters of a day, it takes like a full day. But it's not, it, it's not a tremendous inconvenience when you add up all the other little inconveniences that you have to do anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'd say it was like, I've flown to like New York and I've flown out to Hawaii before and the travel part of it the being in the airplane and all of the airport stuff that's honestly the most like stressful part and the most time consuming is in the airport waiting in the security lines waiting to get your bags and all of that was the same for going abroad just the amount of time in the air is longer and then once you land there's a little bit extra time before you can because you have to go through customs but really it's just another line and yeah I, i've not like the times i've gone through customs it's never taken Mm-hmm. more than like 20 30 minutes and most of that's just waiting mm-hmm. yeah like like when we went to ecuador i think we talked to the guy for two minutes maybe <laughs> like oh what are you doing here oh we're here for a week on vacation he's like okay thanks have a good have a good time <laughs> and that was it <laughs> so um mm-hmm. and another thing is uh on flights on international flights the seats are usually a little bit bigger and they're like they have more amenities it's not just like here's a here's a little container of peanuts it's like they have actual meals and they 
I enjoyed my meals on, I'm, I don't remember my first flight, but my second flight where I, f I flew from Honolulu to Fukuoka in Japan, we had good food on that plane, like really, we had two actual meals in like cute little dishes and everything, they were really good. I remember being very impressed, going like, oh my god, real food on an airplane. <gasps> they can do it, so. They can, they just, yeah. Domestically, okay. they choose not to. They're like, what? Nah, it's a five-hour flight. You can eat when you get there. Spend more money at the airport. Yeah. <laughs> it's a scheme. Yeah, you, it's McDonald's trying to uh, make some more money. <laughs> so, okay. Well, um, the next thing, so that kind of covers the travel thing. I want to... That's why I point that out, just because I so so many people think that is a barrier to traveling internationally. Mm -hmm. So, all right. So your first uh, trip for school was when you were in twelfth grade. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I so just how did that graduated. Go? Um, so I had signed up to go with all my classmates, and this was my teacher was going. This was like a school-ish sponsored trip. It was with a like a travel agency. And I do recommend people, if you're nervous about going abroad for the first time, definitely go with an agency. They have trips you can sign up for, and even if you don't know the other people in your group, you'll get to know them as you travel, and it gives you that sense of you know, group security as you're going. Just don't wear the stupid bright orange backpack they send you. Just, just leave that at home. Because yeah. um, it, it literally, it's like, oh look, a tourist from, you know, a hundred yards away. <laughs> But, um, so we were going in a group, but they, I signed up just a little bit late and they couldn't get all of us on the first plane from Denver to San Francisco. So I got bumped to an earlier plane, uh, which was both a good and a bad thing in the long run and led to hilarity. Uh, I arrived in San Francisco about an hour and a half earlier than the rest of my group. I find the gate. I'm there by myself, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm looking at my watch going, okay, my classmates and teacher, they'll be here any minute. They start boarding the, the plane to Japan, they're still not here. I'm like, okay, any minute, any minute, any minute. I'm looking for them, I keep looking up and down the terminal, like where's my entire group? And finally I go up to the flight attendant as literally everyone else in the waiting area has boarded and I go, my group isn't here. And she goes, oh, don't worry, hon, we know. They called ahead, their plane was delayed. We'll hold the plane for them, we won't take off without them. Whew, you know, a huge <laughs> relief. Oh, were, thank God. Were you even thinking of, like, should I get on the plane I if I can't find anyone else? If everyone else is missing this flight, should I get on the flight? Yes. And go to Japan by myself or stay here and possibly mess things up worse? That, that, that was, had to have been a tough that was my, thing like, going through your brain. Because I didn't want to, if something happened and they didn't, if they missed this plane, I would be by myself <laughs> in a foreign country where I don't speak the language and I don't have my teacher and this whole group who were supposed to be together kind of a thing. Like, I didn't, like, I knew we were meeting a tour guide there. I didn't have that information. My teacher had that. You know, I didn't have any of that, so I'm like, I can't get on this plane. If they don't show up, I'm not going to go go on the next 14 hours by myself. Heck no, I'm going to wait, but I'm like, how is this going to screw everything up? And also, why aren't they here? They were supposed to land 40 minutes ago, and they're not here. So, but after the flight attendant assured me, oh no, we know their plane got delayed. Apparently, they actually had a me mechanical malfunction with their plane that they had to fix, and that's why they were delayed. Um, but, so I'm looking down the terminal, looking and looking, and San Francisco is 
huge. If you've never been in that airport, it is massive, big, wide, wide aisles, like bigger than your average mall kind of hallways. And all of a sudden, I'm looking down the hallway because I know which direction they're coming from. And if you've seen Home Alone 2, you'll know exactly what I mean by this. When you see this mob of people suddenly, like as if in slow motion, rounding the corner and coming straight at you as a full-on run. I will never forget this image of my teacher and classmates running down the terminal, full-on sprint, you know, jostling their carry-on bags as they're sprinting because they all think they're going to miss their flight to Japan, not knowing that it's being held for them because it's a group of like 20 of us. <laughs> They made it. I waved them down so they knew exactly which gate, and we all were there. My teacher was very relieved because she was worried that because one of us had one of her kids had to go ahead, and so the fact that I was there waiting for her made her relieved. We all get on the plane. We're all like, "Yes, okay, we made it. We're getting to Japan. We did it." 14 hours later, we get to Osaka, and their bags didn't make it on the plane. <laughs> oh no! But yours did because you were early. Mine's did, mine did, and then and most of my classmates did, but my poor teacher and her mother who had come didn't have their bags. Oh. But they did deliver them to her at the hotel the next day. So it's probably it. better if you're. <laughs> it's probably better that they miss like everyone's bags, and then it's like your chances of getting it are probably higher than if it's just one bag. Hmm. So, all right. So you guys all made it to Japan. Okay. Um, and then what was your best memory from that two-week time period? I have to pick one? Well, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, ooh, yeah. I just, I remember in, like, landing and, like, one of my friends was just literally chanting, We're in Japan! We're in Japan! We're in Japan! She just couldn't believe it. None of us could because that was such a, that was my first time abroad. I had never been to another country, and technically speaking, I still haven't. I've only ever been to Japan or the U.S. But the idea that you really are someplace else, you are in another country, is such an experience and such a just a wow kind of moment. And driving around, like we, they had a giant like equivalent of a Greyhound bus to transport us all, and seeing like the city and stuff like that. And so, for people who aren't familiar with Japan. Tokyo and Osaka are the two largest cities, which are basically like the size of New York population. And I think I think New York is more spread out, but they're they're huge, huge cities. And so we went to downtown Osaka our first night there, and we're just walking around. And I didn't know that we went to these really really famous tourist spots and I didn't find out later that those were super famous. I was just like, oh, we're just walking around the city and so we saw like this really famous bridge and we just were like, wow, this bridge is cool. Look at that. You know, it's a historic landmark. No one told you that it was famous. It was just famous. a bridge. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Did you know that this was famous? Nope, not. Jeez. A, there's a photo spot where you take a picture with what's known as the uh, the Glico man, which if you imagine a guy like running a race and he puts up his arms as he finishes. That's a company brand symbol. Um, and they have a light up little billboard thing and you go and you take a picture next to the Glico man. I had no idea who that was at that point in time. I know now, but. So you didn't really appreciate Japan because you didn't get the picture? 
oh no I got, <laughs> oh, you got the picture? I got the picture I saw all these things and then later I learned that it was more than just wow that's cool it was oh yeah that actually has a lot of significance it's more than just being cool but it, it was such an interesting like everything feels different it's a big city which is always kind of weird to me because I'm very much the more small town kind of person right yeah um, northern Colorado I mean Fort Collins <laughs> is a big town and it's maybe what 100,000 people mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and when you go to uh, how many million people are in Osaka it's it's I don't know that you can really count after a million you know it's like, like things get so big it's like you don't even know well it's in the in the range of six to seven million people if yeah. I'm not mistaken it's huge and it's packed and it's crowded and there's just people everywhere everywhere people 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 but yeah, we went to, like, we didn't stay too long in Osaka because we were just constantly on the bus traveling to different places. Um, but we went to Kyoto, the old capital. We went to Nara and saw all these temples and beautiful shrines and things like that. And um, we got to visit, you know, onsens, but we went to, you know, things like the different museums and um, the memorial sites. Um, yeah, and it's a beautiful country. So when you were leaving, when you were like, imagine yourself getting on the airplane, heading back to Northern Colorado, were you thinking you were going to go back? Absolutely. I was like, yep, coming back here, that's going to happen. Going to make this happen. And yeah, I did that. Uh, It took me a couple of years, but I did get back to Japan. Okay. So now, so this is five years later? About, yep. Okay. So you're in college Mm -hmm. and you're about like halfway, more than halfway done? Close to it, yeah. Okay. And so how did the, how did your next trip come about? So I had signed up through a specific study abroad program. Um, They don't exist anymore, but, which is pity because they were pretty good. Uh, And they placed you at a Japanese university. Um, and I did a semester, they had options for your longs, and they had different universities in different places. I decided I didn't want to do the big city, because everybody used to talk, oh yeah, go to Tokyo, go to Tokyo, and there's a, you know half a dozen different really great universities in Tokyo, but I was like, how about not Tokyo, how about someplace else? And so I um, stumbled upon this university in a little city called Beppu, which is about the size of Fort Collins, actually. Um, it's in... Uh, Oita Prefecture and uh, the Inland Sea and they have um, the sister school of the very famous Ritsumeikan University which is in Kyoto and this is their sister school um, Ritsumeikan Asia Pacific University and it's specifically an international school and so there was classmates who were from all countries all over the place so we had the Japanese students, and then we had students from Korea and China and Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Australia, Finland, Sweden. Uh, we had a sizable student population from Uzbekistan, which was really cool because I've never met anybody from there before. Uh, and just you know, everything in like East and Southeast Asia was covered. And then a couple places in Central Asia, and then Europe, and then you had, um, I had a classmate from Costa Rica. Um, we had just about every continent covered. So was it harder to be in a smaller town? Like, so you're in Tokyo, where you're for two week and a half or two weeks, and then 
three days. Okay. <laughs> three days. So, but you had some, you had some exposure to Tokyo, and mm-hmm. then you go to this much smaller town, and was it harder to be a foreigner in the smaller town than yeah. in the bigger town, or was it about as accommodating, or was it, it equally was, difficult? It was um, equally accommodating and difficult. Because on the one hand, since it was such an international school, and Beppu is a very touristy city, like if anyone knows about Japanese hot springs, Beppu is one of the top cities for hot springs. And so they had tours from within Japan, and then they had um, cruise ships come into the port and bring people in, and then they'd go back on the cruise ship and stuff like that. So they were, all the locals were used to foreigners, and so they didn't, like, bat an eye of foreigners and if you struggled with the language or if you struggled with the currency they were really understanding about it and I remember a bus driver helping me out by you know, I'm just holding the money in my hand trying to figure out how much do I owe him and okay what and, and he just kind of like lifted a hand and like pulled picked the coins from my hand and put it through the little slot thing and then kind of like kind of waved me off like that okay that's all and I'm, oh okay how do you got the gozaimasu <laughs> So what was, um, so on your first trip you were there for a short amount of time and then the next time you're there for six months, five, six months. And so was there a novelty? Like the first time you had to just been like, go, 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 go. And now you're like, okay, I'm here for half a year. And how is that different from your first trip? Like, okay, now you need to like kind of, you're calmed down and you're not, your excitement level is just back to normal. And so how is that, like, how did that affect your perception of everything? Um, I was still, like, enjoying being there, like, just, now, the campus where I was at is, it's up on top of this hill, and so you have this beautiful view of, like, the town and the bay and everything, but you're not in town. And it was kind of funny, because I had been warned, oh, you have to take, it's up on top of a hill, you got to take a bus down into town, all this stuff, and I'm thinking, Oh, if it's just a hill, I can walk a hill. What? It's, you know, so what if it's a little bit of a steep hill? No, this is fine. No, 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 no. When they meant you have to take a bus, they actually meant you need to take a bus. Um, because it was a narrow little forest pathway with sparse street lights and no sidewalk and even a shoulder through this, like, unpopulated forest <laughs> down to the bottom of the hill. And we did walk it twice in daylight, but you would absolutely never want to do that at night. Um, and like the bus even had a few hairpin turns where you're like, wow, the rock wall is like six inches past the headlight. Okay, skilled bus driver. Thank you for not hitting the wall. But <laughs> um, so it was about a 30 minute bus ride down and then you were in town. And then town was um, this kind of like long and narrow because it was along the coast and then it had like little up the valleys because it was it's very hilly. Japan is very mountainous. Um, but going into town was always an exciting thing and you planned, okay, this weekend on Saturday we're going into town, we're all going to leave at this time and you bought your bus tickets ahead of time because it's cheaper if you buy them in advance. Um, but just being on campus, it was like being on a college campus, you know. There's, you go to class, you have the dorms, you study, you do homework, you know, there's the cafeteria, the dining hall area. Um, and so to me that felt, since I went from being a student in Colorado to just being a student in Japan, that part was pretty seamless with just a few little kinds of exceptions. Um, things like um, people in the dorms were up 
talking and laughing and being loud very late at night. Yeah. And the RAs were like, eh, whatever. Whereas here, if you complain about that, they'll actually, or at least at my dorm, they actually would go, you know, knock on doors and be like, hey guys, it's 11.15, you need to tone it down a bit. And here they was like, it's 3 a.m., woo! <laughs> but I don't think that was standard, because I remember talking to one of my teachers about it, and she was very surprised to hear that. But I was also in a dorm with a lot of freshmen, and so these are right out of high school kids, and they are so excited because this is their first semester of college. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Whereas I'd, you know, been in college for a few years, so that first, like, you know, novelty, the novelty of, of we're in college, woo, is kind of like, yeah, okay, we're, now we're trying to study and do homework. So what did you think about? Okay, so Northern Colorado probably has some of the least public transportation in the country. <laughs> Maybe not the least. There's there's a there's a decent bus system in Fort Collins, but like Loveland, like you go anywhere in Fort Collins, like there's nothing. Loveland has some buses, and it's kind of a joke and. So it's like there's, you can't live in northern Colorado without a car, no. pretty much. 99.99% of the population needs a car every day mm-hmm. to, do, to, to live. It's so, difficult without a car. And so, but in Japan, where you were, you, you obviously didn't have a, a car the whole time you are there. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I but was that <laughs> was that a good thing or a bad thing or what was your was, what was your take about that? It was fantastic because I didn't have to worry about all of the stuff related to having a car, including just things like where do you park, and the fact that Japan drives on the opposite side would have been a massive learning curve too. People go, oh, you just adapt. No, no, your whole brain is wired to whatever you're used to, and so it's a lot harder than people give it credit. For for to switch to the opposite side and have everything reversed. I rode in people's cars and personal cars that, you know, and that was even kind of an experience just because watching cars pass you or like turning, you're at a stoplight and they're turning and you see what looks like a left turn to your, you know, American, you know, right side of the road thing. And you go, oh my God, they're going to hit us. Oh, wait, no, they're not. They're, they're, they're right, you know, yeah, right. We drive on the left here. They're driving on the right side of you, so it's fine. Um, but being able to get places easily, relatively cheaply, was just really convenient. And now in the bigger cities, it's more convenient because there's more buses, more subways or trains and things like that. Whereas Beppu being a small town, we had one train line that went through with a couple of different stations. So if you were going to the neighboring city of Oita, which was the prefectural capital, or if you're going someplace else, then you take the train. But it wasn't like a daily thing for me. Now, if someone maybe worked in Oita and was living in Beppu, then they could commute with the train. Um, and it was like a 40 minute, not too big, big of a deal. Um, but around town, they had a really good bus system with a whole bunch of different routes. And then in the large cities, you'll have like Fukuoka was the nearest like really big, big city. And their main train station, which is like an eight story tall building, because they built like basically a mall on top of the train station with restaurants and clothing stores and suitcase stores and bakeries and all kinds of stuff. They, they know how to utilize their train stations really well in Japan. There's always amazing food in train stations. If you're ever hungry and you're going, hey, we sh- where should we eat? Go to a train station. Odds are they will have a fantastic restaurant designed either to sit down or for commuters if you need something quick. And it's always amazing food. It's kind of interesting how in the United States, 
or everything I've been exposed to in the United States is that public transportation is sort of a punishment. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but in, in, in other countries, it's, I think it's more of a, it's, it's a good thing. It's, uh, you know, it's something that, like, a car is more of a burden in most countries. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing with Japan is that there's actually some pretty stringent requirements before you are allowed to get a car, including things like you have to have proof of a place to park it. So if, like, you live in an apartment and you don't have a parking space, well, that you don't have a place to park that car then. You have to, like, say, okay, no, it's always going to be parked here because they they have a lot more limited space. Like, the U.S., we have limitless space. It's like we your right so to go space. everywhere. It's like, mm-hmm. I guess, like, especially in, in around in northern Colorado, where, like, think about where the closest metered parking is. Old Town. Old Town. <laughs> like, okay, so, like, other than, okay, so, so, yeah, there's some parts in Old Town where there's some meters, but beyond that, like, where, like, you have to go down to Denver before you see any other parking meters. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, incredibly uncommon to have to pay to park anywhere yeah. north of Denver. Those areas where One tiny and, little part of yeah. downtown Fort Collins. Mm-hmm. But, I think, um, doesn't downtown Loveland have some meters, and Greeley does? I don't, I don't, I don't remember. No, I don't think Loveland has any. Well, Greeley doesn't in their downtown. It's just around campus. Yeah. Then they're like, hey, I guess, yeah, campus might, yeah, CSU <laughs> might have some, but... But yeah, it's kind of interesting to think, like, here it's a privilege, it's like a right, like, I get to park wherever I want, and it's not going to be a problem, versus, like, you know, in another country, you have to prove that you have a parking spot, it's just kind of, it's kind of crazy to think that it's that different. Well, there's spaces at a premium, and so, things like buildings, where we have a sprawling department store, it's all one story, they might have a five-story department store, so its footprint on the ground takes up less space because everything is vertical. They use that vertical space and then they will dig down underneath. And so another city I went to, they had basically an underground shopping mall that was under an intersection where you entered in and like pedestrian staircases down. And then there was this big underground tunnel space where they had a bunch of shops and walk paths and stuff like that that you could connect underground in the city. And no one would even think of doing that here. No one would be like, yeah, let's just dig down. Like, to it's like no, something. there's an empty field mm-hmm. right outside town. We can put up a new a new building right there. Yep. So. And that oh. use of space made things how how everything everybody thought about it because stuff was more packed in, but then they went built up and built down, and then people could get around, but not having to worry about oh where are we going to park all the cars, not having to have all these parking lots, or they have like little mini parking garages that's a smaller footprint, fit more cars vertically. It's just a different way of conceptualizing the use of space. All right. Well, I think we've talked about public transportation enough <laughs> on, about that. Um, so, so you were in this small-ish uh, Japanese town for six months. How much were you forced, or how much Japanese did you learn versus how much did people accommodate you with your English, knowing like, okay. After dealing with you for 10 seconds, it's obvious that you are an American, you know, you're, you're five foot seven, <laughs> light skinned, you you, you're obviously not a local, so did people just automatically start speaking English to you, or did you have to, like, like how hard was it to, to go on day to day? So one of our, like, 
short-term tour guides like when we were first because this was like a group of students who all met there and then he drove us to the university from the airport um he played a game with us called spot the gaijin gaijin means foreigner it's uh, kind of a short term for gai kokujin so outside country person direct translation and so he would be like oh hey there's a gaijin hey where do you think they're from hey one of you should go ask them what country they're from i mean it was this joke thing it was hilarious but you literally can spot the gaijin from, you know, 100 yards away. It's that obvious. If they are any, like, if they are Western, so if they're, like, Anglo or if they're African, anything like that, you can tell from, you know, feet away. If they're another Asian ethnicity, so if they're, you know, South Korean, maybe it's not quite as obvious, although I did learn that South Koreans have a really distinctive clothing style, so you can always spot a South Korean based on how they're dressed which I find really cool, um, but that it was not as obvious. When it came to the small town, uh, and since I was a student, I was there to learn Japanese language. So right. it's not like I was going, oh yeah, everyone should accommodate me in my you know, language skills. No, it was, I was there to learn Japanese, so I typically tried to speak Japanese. And most of the time people would speak to you in Japanese, even if they would speak slowly or simply, uh, which was really courteous of them actually. Occasionally, you would have somebody who would just talk to you directly in English, usually because they wanted to practice their English. And so they were like, oh, look, a foreigner, let me <laughs> practice my English, yay! And we did have elementary school kids who would come up to campus in the busload, and they had a piece of paper and a three-sentence little thing that they were supposed to say. And, you had, and they wanted you to sign off their paper to prove to their teacher as part of their assignment that they had spoken English to a foreigner and so it was both adorable and a little terrifying if like a group of like six children are literally like dead running straight at you <laughs> like swearing you're like oh my god what are, are they running from something no they're just like running straight at you and like almost bump into you like full-on run and then they'll say hi my name is you know and then I am this old and blah 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 and please sign <laughs> And then they're all saying it, and they're all trying to get you to sign at the same time, and they have one pen. <laughs> so did you get more used to that by the time you were no. done, or was it just mm -hmm. weird? Always? It was always weird to hear like the pounding of little footsteps coming, like running at you full on, and then being swarmed by kids. And I was late to class occasionally because I was swarmed by kids, and that actually became an excuse, because if you were an obvious Westerner and you showed up late to class, and being tardy in Japan is not acceptable, but if you would say to your teacher, the kids were here again, they go, oh, I understand, okay, just take your seat. But I one time walked around the back side of the buildings when I saw them in like the courtyard area. I was like, oh God, I'm going to be late if they swarm me. I'm going to have to walk through the weeds behind the building <laughs> to, to get to class on time. Well, that's hard to say no to a little kid that's like, oh, you're trying to help that. They're like... so cute too, and they're really polite and really nice. And, but now, now in the big cities, a lot of times people will speak English directly to you because they assume that you, in I found in the bigger cities, they assumed that you were just a tourist rather than a student. And so they assumed you weren't trying to learn it, the language, versus if you were in the small town, oh, you probably are attending the university, you're probably learning Japanese. So. So how much Japanese do you think you've retained? So this, so you've been back uh, so how long has it been since you've been in, a long, in Japan? A long time. Like, yeah, it's been like eight years Eight or more. years. So how much so, do you think you've retained? 
Because um, I know you always just in casual conversation, you're always dropping words in <laughs> where, you know, when you're talking about it. And uh, No, I know my um, vocabulary and the grammar or stuff like that, that has definitely like faded a little bit just because I'm not using it constantly like I was. Um, so in Japanese, um, they actually have a, a testing system that goes from N5, which is beginner level, to N1, which is fluent. And you can take tests to, you know, show what level you were at. Right after I got back, I tested and I barely got into the N2 level, which wow. was pretty good. Yeah. I was very excited about that. However, I'd say I probably, without using it constantly, and it's been so many years since I've been in like a class with it, I probably lost, I probably slipped back more towards like the border between like N4 and N3. So I hope I'm closer to the N3 working on, you know, studying up a little here and there, but yeah. yeah, the grammar and especially like the writing, like I haven't pra practiced my kanji writing in a very long time. Well, one thing I've noticed I uh, with my job <laughs> when I'm delivering something every now and then, like so I'm in the same area like all the time. So it was like 99.99% of the time I don't have to go anywhere, but every now and then like a, the wrong package gets loaded on my truck and I have to go just wherever they'll just say sorry Omar you have to go deliver this package and I'll be like I don't know this area at all but once I start driving towards there then I I don't even have to look at the map because I remember even though it could have been 15 or 20 so I've been a driver for 20 years so 20 years ago I was delivering this route one you know one week way back when and just when you like when you just look at the address you're like I don't know where this is but if you think, I'm just going to try and get there, <clears throat> it's kind of amazing how it's like, oh, yeah, I think it's over here. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I remember this weird corner <clears throat> or there's like a weird colored house or just all these random things you kind of remember. And then once you're in that context of that neighborhood, then you remember, like, the more you're in the context of the neighborhood, the more you remember it. So um, there's, I think there's something with language of like, you know, well, you, you knew it once really well and now it's kind of faded, but... When you get back into the context, then you're kind of surprised at how much is still in your brain. Mm -hmm. Ever so often, if I watch like a TV show or something in Japanese, like more of it comes back. I still need the subtitles, but at the same time, I'm, I'm listening to it and I go, okay, I got kind of the gist of that. The subtitles help me get that last little bit, especially with like the technicalities of the grammar and stuff. But yeah. yeah. All right, so the last thing I want to talk to you about is how are you going to get back to Japan? Or do you want to get back to Japan, and how is that going to happen? I definitely would like to go back to Japan. Um, I would, once I get the bachelor's degree that I'm still working on, I will hopefully apply to one of the many uh, teaching programs that will send you over for either a year or two years. And, um, but you don't... For many of the language programs, you don't actually need those that specific credential to apply. As long as you have a bachelor's degree, that's really what they care about, and some interest. However, socially, it's recommended to have a pretty good knowledge of Japanese language and culture, just so that it's not so isolating. Because if you just dropped into some place in a foreign country and you didn't speak the language, it's a lot harder to not feel so very, very alone and isolated. 
So if you're able to communicate with the locals, that's it will make your experience much better. Yeah, and you're more likely to stick around, so they probably mm. appreciate that. You have an invested interest in it. If you studied something for a few years, you know, obviously you're not like, oh yeah, I signed up on a whim. I guess there are people who did that. My sister knew somebody who just like randomly picked countries to apply to for study abroad and then just went without any like prior knowledge of language or culture and they did okay, but yeah. probably well, not recommended like, for most. Well, I mean, there's something to be said for just jumping in the deep end and be like, well, I'm just going to do this and it's going to be incredibly difficult to undo it. So I'm going to you know, mm-hmm. do what I need to do to learn the language. I mean, it's definitely... You know, when you're sitting there trying to learn a new language on your phone, that's one thing. <laughs> versus, like, I need to get some food, and no one seems to be speaking English, so I better figure out a way to get some food because I'm hungry, and that's not going to change anytime <laughs> soon. So, um, you know, what do I need to do? I mean, honestly, two of my favorite memories from my first trip when I didn't speak anything besides konnichiwa and arigato was miming out a food request in two different places and I had so um, I got a eight dollar dictionary to go to Japan my first time and I tried looking up like the hiragana which is the simplest of the three writing systems and so I could kind of like look at this little chart and sound things out and then look up what that meant in my dictionary and this little kiosk at... And this was a dictionary, like, on paper. Paper dictionary. Okay, I just wanted to clarify that. <laughs> like, not electronics. It doesn't... Nope. It's not on your phone. It's like, you look through the actual paper pages. Yep. Okay. Flip through the actual physical paper pages. Uh, but I was at this kiosk in a train station and trying to figure out what the flavor of this rice ball was. And I could, the word, I could sound out the word. It was not in my dictionary. I mean, it's an $8 dictionary, so it's not, like, all-inclusive, but I tried to ask, what is this? And I could say, kore wa nan desu ka? But I c- couldn't understand the answer of the two ladies who were working. And as we're all standing there trying to figure out, and they would say different words, they're trying to describe what this flavor was. And finally, one of them saw this little um, silk flower edging that they had put as a decoration around the little cooler cabinet where this rice ball was. And she grabbed the leaf of one of the roses and pointed at it. So to this day, I still don't know what flavor that rice ball was, (laughs) but I knew it was some sort of a green vegetable. (laughs) And it was delicious. And so I bought it, and then I also bought a second one that was what is known as the pickled plum, umeboshi which is very famous for anybody who's looking into Japanese, you you will come across umeboshi. And it's a sour kind of thing. And when and the lady pointed to it and then pointed to her face and she went the like that pucker kind of to make it imply that oh this is sour. And we did all of this with just miming and stuff because we couldn't talk. But I I always remember those two ladies <laughs> and how they were willing to do that to this foreigner standing there with a dictionary trying yeah. to figure things out. There's definitely something to be said for making an effort. Versus like, okay, your effort really doesn't do any good, but the effort is there. So mm-hmm. that definitely gets a lot of points with people, I think. Mm-hmm. So, well, I definitely want you to get back to Japan. I like you being here, <laughs> but we could definitely do a podcast. We'll have to figure out how to do it with Zoom or whatever. <laughs> I'm sure there's there's 8,000 ways you can do that, but I want you to get back. And I know like 
I've always had plans to travel more and it's like the longer you put it off the harder it gets and it's like it's like you still want to and then it's like you feel like sometimes I'll just feel bad I'm like I'm not traveling enough and then it's like but I have all these things and I have like there's more reasons not to so I want you to I want you to get back to Japan so we'll see maybe when our podcast is world famous I, have to, I guess the, the gestures with my hands don't really come across on the podcast but I'm flailing my arms about flamboyantly world to famous. describe how wonderful our podcast is going to be and someone is going to listen to it and say we need Jenny in Japan teaching English podcast even if from Japan. even if she hasn't finished her degree yet we'll take her just get her on the plane and we'll work out the details later that sound like a good plan sounds like a good i will plan. do everything i can to help you get to japan <laughs> so all right well i think that uh i think that's a good amount of time for this podcast and uh we will anything else to add we'll just if there is we'll just put on the next podcast okay so all right well that's it for us this week and uh enjoy i hope you guys enjoyed it and we will uh we'll be on here next time thanks <laughs> Bye bye